Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Uh, joining us now, the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline, the regular season champion of the Big Ten, the Big Ten Tournament champion, the Purdue Boilermakers, their head coaches, Matt Painter. Hello, Matt. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. So you got to wait. You got to wait to find out who you prepare for mm-hmm. until tomorrow night. Give me a little bit of insight on that dynamic. Yeah, you know, obviously the, the playing games um, in Dayton on Tuesday and Wednesday, our game is, win, is one of the games on Wednesday night between Farley Dickinson and Texas Southern. So, you know, it's kind of like going into the Big Ten tournament. You know, you got Rutgers and Michigan. And uh, I told our staff, I go, whoever you think is going to win and you prepare more for, they won't. And so, like, it's just one of those things that you can't <laughs> predict. I don't know how many times this is a little different, but we went like a four four out of five-year stretch where the game before us that we waited for went into overtime. And so just like, you know, it's kind of expect the unexpected type stuff. And you, you got to prepare, obviously, for both teams and, and be ready. Then obviously Wednesday night after you watch the game, you know, you have a day and a half to two days before you play you know, now you can just kind of lock into that team. But the most important team is always going to be your team. You got to watch them. You got to watch the other team. You got to scout. You got to know what's going on. But you got to have your own team in the right frame of mind. So, Matt Painter, the head coach of the Boilermakers, I don't think I've ever asked you this. How, how difficult, honestly, is it to go from the season where you get – and I know you don't have a great deal of time between Big Ten tournament games – for prep, but you've seen nearly every, obviously everybody, right. and you prepared for them. How difficult is this in, in this kind of bounce back situation in a tournament to prepare for game after game? Um, it's the same for everybody, so I don't think anybody quite has an advantage. I think the more uh, disciplined you are, yeah. the more experienced you are, the more mature you are as a group, as a team, that helps you move from game to game and kind of understand things. I always talk about, you know, you're making mistakes when you win and you're doing good things when you lose. Obviously, one's going to weigh over the other because obviously you lost one game and you won the other one. But there's still a silver lining in there. You know, who's grabbing the silver lining and learning why they win? And that's what you've got to be able to do. Um, so, like, that's what we'll do here in practice for the last two days is try to shore up some of the things um, – that are consistent in the game no matter what happens. Like, you got to take care of the basketball. you got to rebound. I don't care who your opponent is. But then there's some other things where you struggle. You know, now you're going to go put in a little bit extra work because right now you're not going to go through other people's stuff very much. You're going to do a little bit of things from a general standpoint, but you don't know who you're going to play once again. And now get better. You know, get better as a team. Get better collectively. And I think those things can really help you because if you're fortunate enough to win, you know, the first game, now, how you handle that next game and that next scout is really important. Sometimes, you know, teams are really difficult. We're hoping yeah. to be that difficult team, you know. And so instead of kind of thinking always, you know, kind of engineering your thoughts about like, like what you have to do for them, they still got to guard you. They still got to adjust to you. So who's worried about who? So hopefully – you know what the hell you're doing from a defensive standpoint, but also causing a lot of problems for your opponent from an offensive standpoint. How do you factor in rest this time of year? 
Yeah. Um, we've taken two days off the previous two weeks, and I could have taken off two days right here because we play on Friday, but we're going to practice a little bit today. We're going to go for about an hour, hour and 15 minutes, not very long, but just to, to work on some things that we need to work on. Um, but for the most part, if you'll allow – see, your schedule is going to flip when it comes to conference, and you don't set your conference schedule. But you're going to get a gap in there where you have some more time off. But, you you know, you can't pick that. They pick that. Right. So ours was at the end of the year. Even though we struggled, we were getting um, – we were getting some rest in there. We were getting, and it's more from just kind of a mental approach than anything, kind of getting away from it for a day, getting away from it for two guys that are banged up, hopefully, you know, getting healthy, but also from a mental standpoint, like it's a grind. Like, you know, we, we start, you know, working and doing stuff in June and, you know, you got to keep things in perspective because, you know, you want to be peaking and playing your best basketball at this time of the year. So you can't lose your mind sometimes June, July, August, September, you know, the time. But you've got to be getting things in and you got to be working on things from a building block standpoint to where you're getting better. You keep improving because you're going to have struggles in certain areas as you're trying to gel your team. Now you want to have it right at the end of the year. The problem is everybody else is going to have the same recipe. You know, so, so it's not like you're yeah. in doing something that other people aren't. So Matt Painter, the head coach of the Purdue Boilermakers via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on the regular season title and the Big Ten tournament title. How, how special has this season, with still a lot of work to be done, but how special has this season been for you and your team so far? Yeah, you know, we, we talked about, you know, at the end right there, like what we were learning as, as we were losing some games. Um, and that's what you want, you know, you know, just some growth right there. You want to keep getting better. You move to the next game, you know, and stay in process base. And sometimes it's missing free throws. Sometimes it's missing open shots. No one's trying to do some of those things. When you have some fundamental issues, you know, you want to be able to kind of get better, you know, in those areas. But being able to win the league by three games like that's that was that was huge for our guys. It's a great accomplishment, you know, for to be able to kind of separate from the pack because we have a lot of really good teams um, you know, in our league. So obviously winning the tournament, <clears throat> a little different, neutral court, three games, three days. Some people have to play four games. Some people have to play five games if they can pull it off. Um, so that was cool that we were able to do that for the first time in the same year. Um, and we've never done that before. So our guys have been able to kind of, you know, win in the, you know, Phil Knight's tournament against the, the quality competition, being able to win our league by three games, then being able to win the tournament. Like, you know, our, our guys have really hung in there. On some neutral courts, obviously away. Being seven and three on the road in the Big Ten might be the biggest accomplishment. The problem for us was we we started off six and zero, oh, so you don't look at it that way. You know, you go yeah. one and three in the last four games. But last time I checked, everybody that beat us was pretty good. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I want to bring up Phil Knight and out in Portland. How, how much do you think that prepped your team in the success that they had for the type of season overall that they've had to this point, Matt? Well, I think it gave them, you know, confidence that they belonged. <clears throat> Obviously, we go from unranked after that tournament to fifth in the country. So to be able to beat Marquette at home, which really outplayed us for the first 30 minutes of that game, um, and then to win neutral games against West Virginia, Gonzaga, and Duke in kind of the fashion that we did, uh, all three were double-digit, you know, wins um, out of the Phil Knight thing. I think that was the really the, the, the point for us that, that builds some confidence for our group, you know, that, that, that we could be special and, and, and do some really nice things 
um, going forward. If we, you know, play to play together at that time, I thought we did some really good things offensively. Our defense, we were scheming a little bit, but our defense, um, you could tell, was drastically improved from the year before. We just were, were more connected, and um, but you know, I think confidence is huge, and I think they just, I think our guys felt good about themselves, and that really helped them. Offense or defense? And you mentioned this, Matt, to me before that you know sometimes your offense looks really good, and the only reason why it looks good is because you're knocking down shots. And sometimes it looks right. good when you're not knocking down shots. Right. Man, when when you've got forty minutes and somebody could be hot and remain hot, how, how difficult is this? In the importance between what your team gives you on the defensive end compared to the offensive end that we've talked about before with your team, Matt. Where's the importance lie here? <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I think if you watch us play, we get a lot of open shots, and like that's, I think that's been frustrating for our guys because I think we have some skilled, you know, players that haven't consistently shot the ball well, but they're fully capable of, and you know, we know that they can knock down those shots. So we we had a lot of open shots in, in the Big Ten tournament. We we shot better the first two games. The last game we didn't shoot as well. It really would have separated the game. You know, we went six for twenty eight from three. You know, you knocked down four or five more threes it just changes the whole game but those looks weren't tough looks those looks were wide open looks and that's what we got to just step into and knock down that's what's exciting about the tournament now because for us we can keep playing well on the defensive end and just keep executing and playing through Zach now if we can get those same type of shots I'm confident our guys are going to step up and make them you know the one thing and I talked to Bruce Weber about this yesterday and I haven't kept a stat on this it's just from from watching the most dangerous situation i think for for your team or anybody's team defensively is that defensive glass because if you don't get it the kick out for a wide open step into three which for so many of these dudes matt is a layup that to me is like the most dangerous thing out of it and i I almost put the level of importance on your defensive glass around in the ncaa in this tournament especially in a one-and-done atmosphere about as important as anything else, at least from what I've watched. Yeah, you know, if you can secure rebounds um, and keep us off the offensive glass, like that's really going to help you. He, When you take him away, um, a lot of times that puts him in really good offensive rebound position. So we almost flip it on you if you can't get him the basketball. The people that full front and really get up there and do some things, it just really opens up. He's had games this year. He's had 10 offensive rebounds in it. You know, yeah. and in one game, you know, and so like those things. But he's he's really smart about you know when he's bottled up about like you talk about those spray out threes after offensive rebounds, you know, and, and that's what you want. And see, that's what you get a lot um, when the ball goes in the post and it doubles and it gets into rotations. You get step in threes. The same thing with the spray out threes after offensive rebounds or step in threes. That's the highest percentage three. You're not on the move. You're not dribbling the basketball. You're just stepping in and shooting things in rhythm like you're doing warm ups. The Mason Gillis offensive glass crash. Is that because yeah. most of the time his guy comes over and double Zach, or is that by design from him because he's good at it? Yeah, no, no matter what, he's charging. You know, he's he's coming in there, and um, you know, at times he'll get a couple fouls right there. But you know, you want. You know, you want him being aggressive. When you go high-low, a lot of times those guys that guard the guy up top, which you have to guard him, they go flying at Zach. So if Zach turns around and shoots before he gets there, those guys, you know, you can't go and double him and box out Mason at the same time. So you got a choice that you have to make in those situations. And so we try to move our guys as much as possible because we know eyes – 
and awareness go towards Zach. And then that's what we're trying to get that big to big dump down, trying to get the spray out threes, trying to get people in rotations while we stay, you know, people, especially people that don't double, like they could be good at maybe doubling if they don't do it, but they're not going to be good in a rotation. Like you, it, it takes a lot of coaches will, if they're actually listening, um, will not on this because they just, you know, coaches, that's why you see them switch a lot now. Like you might not ultimately like the matchup after you switch, but you just don't like being in rotations. Like when you get in rotations, you get behind, people are going to bust you on closeouts. They're going to drive the basketball. It's going to lead to more fouls. You're just flying around, but everybody's got to be in rotations at some point. You try to minimize them. Well, when you deal with him and if you're going to double him, then you're going to live in a rotation. So now it's just getting to the right spots, moving the basketball and, and really learning how to attack. Yeah, I just I rarely see anybody straight line crash like Mason Gillis does, and I mean this consistently. <laughs> and he does. I mean, it right. uh, it's uh, you know it doesn't matter who's in. He's, he just he goes straight. There's no yeah. Mm-hmm. There's no roundabout way that he goes. He just goes straight to the rim, and it's like consistently on on, on every shot. And especially to me, what I've noticed, Matt, is when that ball goes into the post to Zach. Yeah, when it's high low like that, a lot of those guys just turn. And they go and they give the attention to Zach, and then you know, they ignore him, and that just gives him a lane just to to dive in there and fly in there. And he, he's initially trying to get that big to big pass to get that layup because you know that's what. And if they take that away, then you're going to pull people from the weak side. So now you've doubled the post, maybe tripled the post, and then that dive takes another guy. Well, that's either that's three people you've taken on, or maybe even four people you've taken on there. Now you're into just one more pass out of that for a shot or one more pass than the hockey assist. Hey, Matt, can there be a noticeable change in the whistle from going from a regular season Big Ten tournament to the mm-hmm. NCAA tournament? Without question. Without question there can be. And then, you know, just this this is what gets with officials, and there can't be. You know yeah. What I mean? No. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Because, because you get used go, to something. That's all. The, this has been a fan base yeah. kind of argument forever, man. And I kind of wanted you to speak to that, not just for your own team, but but for everybody, especially out of the Big Ten in this case. Yeah, and we've had some games, especially on the road. We had three or four games, and if I lined up and queued up, like the calls or the things that are, aren't called, like you would like, it, it would get to where it's hysterical because you can't believe that they just allowed it to go on. For me, it's like, you know, control what you can control. So, like, if we get a bad whistle on the road and we turn it over 17 times, man, it's – even though I'll say something every now and then, it's hard for me to say something. It's like, turn the ball over 17 times. You went 10 for 18 from the free throw line. Like, make your free throws and take care of the ball. Then if these things happen, like, okay, fight for your team. You know, argue for Zach, whatever you got to do, but – let, let's keep you know. Let's keep our mindset on things that we can control, unless it's really egregious. It got really egregious for about a three or four game stretch where they just ignored things. They, they were just, you know, they were just killing him. And now the last five, six, seven games of the year, and in some of those games we struggled. I thought they did a pretty good job. I thought the whistle in the tournament was a lot better, and the Big Ten tournament was a lot better. But I thought the end of the season was a lot better. It just took them a while to adjust to how some things were getting called. And then we had some refs come from other leagues. They just totally ignored obvious things. They just let him get beat up. And, you know, so you get into the tournament. I know what happens in the tournament because those guys want to advance. They're going to all call consistently on what the head guy wants because they want to go. They want to go from the first game to the second game, get to the Sweet 16, just like teams, players, and coaches. They want to do the same thing. So that's where I think you see a more consistent whistle. What I don't like about it, and I've always voiced it, is 
I don't like getting crews that have never worked together. I just think that it, it makes no sense. I, I don't know why you can't have two leagues going against each other, have a neutral league that has three officials that can work that. Maybe it just can't from the, the semantics of things and organically like work that way. But I, I just don't like getting in, you know, to really, really good games and tough games. And then you got three strangers out there working all three good individual refs. But the whole thing is how well do they, you know, how well do they ref a game together? So they they judge individually and not collectively to move forward right. here, correct? Yeah, yeah. They they've had a little bit of it in the past where they've had some crews advance together because they've been so good together, but you're, you're talking very, very rare. Um, I've always thought that makes a lot of sense, and I think you would have a, a, a better ref game. Um, you'd, have, you'd have a better collaboration, too. Sometimes it's hard for those guys, you know, when they get there, and they're, they're collaborating with people that they're familiar with that they've been reffing with for 10 right, years. Right, that's reputation. That yeah. It, yeah, yeah, it doesn't mean you can't collaborate with other people that are good officials. I'm not saying that you can't do it but you just have it's no different than being on a staff or having a team like you know you you build trust and if you don't have trust in each other even though everybody's knowledgeable in the group i just think that you don't have the same cohesiveness how does uh you prepare zach for you know possibilities on on stuff that i mean obviously you're not going to you're not going to weigh the red flag but how do you how do you yeah he's he's all right he he gets it he's pretty mature about stuff and he understands that you know don't don't let them fouling you, you know, lead to you fouling them because then they're going to call it on you. Like, be smart about it. Know when to be physical. Know when to be aggressive. And know when, especially when they're getting aggressive on him, know when to make simple plays and just pass the basketball. But, you know, be physical without fouling. You know, that there, there's an art to it, and you learn to do that as a player. And he's really done a good job of, you know, keeping his elbows in, not swinging his elbows, protecting himself, protecting the basketball. But he's got a good feel for things. You know, it doesn't mean there's not some hiccups right there, but he's pretty mature about stuff. When he argues, he rarely, rarely is wrong. He doesn't argue very much. So when you see him, when you see him argue and he outwardly does something, I sometimes can't see it, especially in the first half. That's when I'm like, you know, he's not a guy that begs. You know, when he when he argues, he's he got fouled and they missed it. He um he seems more straight up, especially defensively, than I've ever seen him. I mean, he, he he seems very noticeably cognizant of you know making sure he's trying to be straight up and doesn't give the opportunity for that whistle, especially kind of a ticky tack whistle that you can get. Yeah, he got one other day in the game. Um, was that the Katie reaction one right there? Is that what we're talking about? Was. It might have yeah. been that one. Yeah, yeah, he got one other day, but like no, he's he, he's good with it. Like you're you're going to get some things and. You know, when, when guys go to shoot, you know, for him especially, like, you know, challenge high. Don't swipe when guys shoot it. You know, swipe when guys drive it, but don't swipe when they shoot it. Because you swipe and you miss or you barely hit somebody, those guys almost, you know, they almost call that um, every single time. So yeah. just trying to go as high as possible, especially when you when you have the reach that he does. Here's Matt Painter, the head coach of the Boilermakers. Before I let you go, um, at the, uh, the conversation you had after you guys won the Big Ten Conference Tournament, obviously it was talking about the way – uh, that the game ended the way that you closed out. Um, what did mm-hmm. you tell your team after that? The way that that thing went, the way Penn State got back in it, the way you closed it out and won. But how do you how do you yeah. move forward from that? And what did you tell yeah. the group after that game? Well, that's yeah, we didn't tell them anything because you you celebrate, you yeah. do stuff, and you don't want to take it. But we, that's what we're going. That's what we'll work on today. You know, we we talked about it going into the tournament. We talked about it after the first and the second game. And it's not really like what we're doing against the press. It's just individuals 
being able to do their job and then being able to read scenarios and being able to handle pressure and help each other. So we got to do a better job of using our voices. We got to do a better job of helping each other, but also just squaring and looking at your goal. Like we're flashing and catching the basketball and then not looking at our goal. We're catching the basketball too deep in the corner. Um, and sometimes you get stuck that way, but when you do square up and see your goal, and then you can make passes. Now you have sideline. Now you have inbounder. Now you have middle. Now you have long opposite. You have a lot of possessions. We just had some guys not be fundamentally sound, leave their feet when they pass, not help people when their man goes in traps. So it's a lot of drill work. We've done a lot of work on this. And I know like Coach Weber is asking questions, half joking, half serious about like you guys work on the press or whatever. You know, we just got guys that just have to, you know, feel better about it and just take care of it. And, um, and and when we do, we've actually done a good job throughout the year. We've just had some hiccups here. And, um, you know, just be fundamentally sound. I know you come off like your grandpa when you say, you know, be fundamentally sound. But that's all it is. It's passing and catching and, and, and just taking care of it and helping each other out. Matt, our grandparents knew what the hell they were talking about. You know what I yeah, mean? We just, didn't, we, we just didn't think so. But now we, now we get it. <laughs> now we get it. Too damn old. By the way, I, I was talking to Bruce Weber on the show yesterday, and he did bring up the whole the, the press thing. And that's like you, you never work on it. Yeah, you know what? Now nah, we just go out, screw it. We're not going to work on it at all. So we're yeah. not paying attention to it. But it, uh, it's good. Have, in closing, have you seen um, a landscape of college basketball that seemingly is as, as even with really good teams as we've seen across the board this year? No question. I, I think you know, you kind of see it in the tournament when you have, you look at seeds and you look at different things and you know, you'll see like a two fifteen game, then you'll see a seven ten game and you'll be like, man, there's not a lot of difference between that two seven and that ten. There's a difference between the fifteen doesn't mean the fifteen can't win or the sixteen can't win because they can, but there's not a lot of differences with those teams. Obviously, the twos had. I'm just using that as an example. The twos had um, a better year. And the seven has had a little bit better year than the 10. But when it gets down to it on a neutral court in those teams, there's not a big difference. And, and sometimes in fans, they see that that two gets beat by that 10. After the 10 beats the seven, they're like, man, what in the world? This is an upset. It's an upset by numbers. But um, one of the crazy things is, uh, is seeing the line, right? You see a line of who's favored. And you'll see that two versus the 10. And the, t- the two will be favored by a point. You'll be like, it's the 10 and the 2. Like, come on. Like, how can that be? But it's that's the way it is. It's very it, – it's it's way more even than people think um, it, it is at that time. And that's what, you know, as you get into it, that's what you've got to look at. It's just a game. Just look at it as like a regular tournament, like yep. you're going to, Ma- to Maui to play. And then when you play those teams, like you're like, all oh, these teams are good. Well, that's the NCAA tournament. Like, all oh, these teams are good. And so – and I always tell our players, like, everybody earns their way here. Like this isn't an exempt tournament where they signed up four years ago. Like everybody earned their way into this one. I, I think of it this way too. You guys beat Gonzaga back in November in Portland, and Gonzaga has you know had you know good teams throughout. Certainly the past five years. I, I don't know if this team for Gonzaga is as talented as many in the past five years prior, two of which went to the national championship game. But because everybody is so, and I mean good, evenly right here, this this may be a really good chance for them to advance. Even though a lot of those that are in the know, I guess nationally, suggest that they're not nearly as as good as what they have been. It's kind of shows the yeah. evenness at a higher level this season. Yeah, there's a lot of parity, but I think there's been a lot of parity. I don't think there's that one team in, in this year that that jumps out. I think Kansas, to me, jumps out because I like their experience. They, they've, had, they've had a very good year, but I like their experience of being in the tournament last year and winning it. 
And so, like, if anybody would get a nod, I think they would get a nod just because they've been through it before. Not to say other people haven't been through it, but not to that degree where they've had that kind of success, you know, being in a championship game, being down 15 and a half, coming back and winning it, you know. Uh, it, it, it kind of speaks volumes to that. So if anybody separates there a little bit, I, I would give the nod to them. No doubts, Matt Painter. Hey, by the way, too, I didn't ask you to speak on this because that's further down the road, but Dusty May, the head coach of Florida Atlantic, is a really good friend of mine. We're from the same high school in southwestern Indiana, a very small high school called Eastern Green. So he's got a, a game, a first-round matchup with Memphis that, I don't know, right. it could happen, but uh, he's going to come on a little bit later on today. So very happy yeah, with no what doubt. he's it, accomplished. It, they're, they're, a good, they're a good team, man. You know, they won 31 games. Uh, a lot of dudes top. that play together, Matt. A lot of dudes that have played yes. together for a bit. There you go. And they yeah. can shoot. They all can shoot um, one through four, and they can defend, and they have interchangeable pieces. They got a kid from the region, John L. Davis. It's a really good player, good piece, man. The guy can play multiple positions, can guard multiple positions, competitive, knows what's going on. Yeah, he's done a really, really good job. Hey, Matt, it's always a pleasure, man. Thanks for hopping on here, and uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk, chat further down the road, man. Congratulations on everything this year, and the best of luck moving forward. All right. Thanks, man.